Okay, let me open us up in prayer and then we're going to get started. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the chance to come together as brothers in Christ and to study your word together. Father, we thank you for the example that you've given us in your son, Jesus Christ, who is 100% God, 100% man. And I just pray that you would help us to see and open our eyes and be able to comprehend that he was 100% man. And as such, he is the greatest living example of masculinity that we could ever look at. And this morning, I just pray that you open our eyes and help us to look at him clearly, help us to see him for who he is, help us to understand that we have everything we need to live the life he's called us to live as men of God. I thank you for these guys. I pray that you would uh, help them to concentrate, take the cares of the day, the worries of work, everything that's uh, been bombarding them, put it aside, and just for this next little bit of time, concentrate on you and to learn from you. And we give you this time, Father, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this week we're going to look at this issue a little bit deeper of Jesus as Son of God and Son of Man. Now, most of us are really comfortable with the concept that Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, we, we don't wrestle with that. We believe it. We, if you're a believer, you've placed your faith in the fact that He is the Son of God. And he became man and He died on the cross. He rose again. He sits at the right hand of the Father. Someday He's coming back. Son of God, that part we don't really struggle with. It's the Son of Man that we probably wrestle with a little bit more. We, we touched on that last week. We don't probably wrestle with the fact that he's part of the Trinity. Uh, you've got God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We don't wrestle with the fact that he's 100% divine, because if he isn't, then we don't really have a Savior. Um, so we, we probably don't wrestle with these things. We don't wrestle with the fact that he's co-equal with God and co-equal with the Holy Spirit. Um, we may not be able to understand it. We can't explain it. Um, you can use all kinds of analogies to try to explain the Trinity. I can't. I just believe it. Uh, and, and they are in perfect unity. They're three in one. So those things, while hard to understand, we believe. But this is interesting. Did you know that the most favorite title that Jesus used of himself was not Son of God. It was Son of Man. Son of Man. As a matter of fact, in the Gospels, he refers to himself over 80 times by this title. Now, if I'm Jesus, I'm referring to myself as Son of God because that sounds better. It's, you know, it's a little more regal. You know, hey, I'm Son of God. Listen to me. Um, it's a power thing. But no, Jesus, it was always Son of Man, Son of Man, Son of Man. It was his favorite title for himself. And it's interesting that no one else in the Gospels refers to him by that title. Only he does. Son of Man. And that's pretty significant. He's the only one that used it of himself. And you and I, as we've been talking about the last few weeks, we're to be the image bearers of God. And as we looked at last week, our model is Jesus Christ. That he is the greatest image bearer of God. And so he's our example. He's what we're going to look at over the next weeks. We are made to reflect God. We're to bring God glory with our lives. This is just a recap. But that's why we exist. We don't exist for ourselves. We don't exist for what we get out of life. We exist to bring glory to God and to image Him to the creation and to the, the world around us. When they look at you, what they should see is God. 
they should see the reflection of God. But as we said last week, the fall changed that, didn't it? Sin introduced a whole new problem that made that image blurry, it made that image distorted, it made that image to where it couldn't be seen clearly. And now when people look at us, even as believers, sometimes what they see is not God. They see a distorted view of God. Our kids see a distorted view of God. Our wives see a distorted view of God. Because sin distorts God's image. It twists it. It mars it. It it sometimes looks okay, but it's kind of like a blurry view of who God should be. And so when they look at us, they don't see what they should be seeing. And that's really what we're talking about. That's what the fall campaign is going to be talking about starting this Sunday. And again, if you're not in a small group, you need to get in one. Because I really want to encourage you to be part of that campaign all throughout the, the weeks that it runs. So sin has caused a problem. But yet we're still supposed to image God. We're still supposed to be His image bearers on this earth. And so we're going to look at Jesus over the next weeks. And this week we're going to look at one characteristic of His life. And we'll pick up another one next week. But we're going to look at this week about this issue of him being supremely human. 100% God, but also 100% human. He was a living, breathing human being. I read an article this last week, and the guy in it, he, he shared a poem um, that he's a pastor, and he put it in his blog, and it went out to his church, and he got all kinds of like negative emails, because the poem he wrote was called Manger Wetter. And it was, a, it was a poem about Jesus Christ as an infant being in the manger. And he got so much negative flack from people saying how sacrilegious that was, how disrespectful that was, and how wrong that was. And he, his response was, he was a baby. He came in the form of a baby. And he did everything babies do. You know, he, didn't, he didn't come out of the womb perfectly potty trained. And, and, you know, we struggle with that. We go, whoa, wait a minute. That's not Jesus. Jesus took on human flesh. Jesus had the body of a child. He grew up as a child. He, he, he cried. Uh, he had the problems ch children have. He probably fell at times. He probably got hurt at times. Remember, he had all the pain that we have. If he fell and scraped his knee, it didn't magically heal itself. He had all the feelings that you and I have. He was supremely human. We said last week he's the second Adam. Adam was the kind of the prototype. Jesus is the archetype. He's, he's the way it was, it was meant to be. He, he's the perfect model of what it means to be a man. Because he's the perfect man. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. He's the perfect man. Now let me set that up. You're going to, you're going to struggle with this because... Man, if, if he's the model, I don't have any hope. If he's what i got to follow, I can't live up to that standard. But you've probably learned by now that if you pick another guy as your model, you're, you're either going to fail because he's better than you are at too many things, or you're just going to surpass him. And then you're going to get cocky. Well, I'm certainly more spiritual than he is. Or you're going to get to some point in your life where you always look for somebody who's less spiritual than you are. Well, I'm definitely better than that guy. I'm definitely more spiritual than that guy. But see, they're not our model. 
i grew up with a dad who set a pretty high standard and he was my model for years and i got to the point when i was in high school where i finally just i just gave up i can't meet this standard i can't be like my dad so therefore it's not worth trying and it wasn't until later years of college that i realized that my dad's not my standard it's jesus christ he's our standard and i hope by the time we're done you're going to realize that that's okay no you will never meet his standard on this earth but he's still our standard. He still sets the example of what you and I are supposed to be. J.D. Phillips is the one who coined this phrase supremely human in his, his translation. He refers to Christ as supremely human. He's the supreme example, the supreme model of what it means to be human. Listen to this. Now Christ is the visible expression. This is the J.D. Phillips translation. He's the visible expression of the invisible God. Jesus Christ came to earth as God in human flesh. He's the visible expression. Up until that point, nobody could see God. Nobody could look God in the face. Nobody could touch God. Nobody could be with God. You know, the best they could do is somebody like Moses could stand in the cleft of the rock and watch him walk by and see his back. But if anybody ever looked at him in full glory, they never would have lived through the ordeal. He's the visible expression of the invisible God. He existed before creation began. In other words, he's divine. For it was through him that everything was made. He's, he created everything. Everything that you see, he created. It was through him that everything was made, whether spiritual or material, seen or unseen. Through him and for him also were created power and dominion, ownership and authority. See, he, he was seated at the right hand of the Father long before his death and resurrection. And that's what he left, according to Philippians 2. That's what he left to come to earth and take on human flesh. He already had power and authority, dominion. In fact, every single thing was created through and for him. He is both the first principle and the upholding principle of the whole scheme of creation. And now he's the head of the body, which is composed of all Christian people. Life from nothing began through him, and life from the dead began through him, and he is therefore justly called the Lord of all. It was in him that the full nature of God chose to live. Supremely human. Human, but God. The full nature of God chose to live in Jesus Christ. And through him, God planned to reconcile in his own person, as it were, everything on earth and everything in heaven by virtue of the sacrifice of the cross. Jesus Christ was God in human flesh. He's the perfect example of what it means to be a man filled with the power of God. He's our example. So he's the visible expression of God. When Jesus Christ walked the earth, when people looked at him, what they saw was God. They saw God. Everything he said, everything he did, they saw God. They saw the attitude of God, the actions of God, the heart of God. Everything he did reflected God. Now think about you. Does everything you do reflect God? The answer is no. The answer is no for me. But that still doesn't change the fact that I am to be like Him. Everything I do should reflect God. My attitudes, my actions, my speech, what I watch, what I do with my time, what I do with my money, how I treat people. He's the visible expression of God. He's my example. He's God in the flesh. And I, I don't know about you, but that, that's an amazing concept to me that that little baby was God. God in the flesh. 
Can you imagine that Mary knew this? Can you imagine being Mary and holding that baby? I know when my first child was born 26 years ago, I was a nervous wreck just holding him. You know, just, I'm going to break him. I'm going to drop him. I'm going to hurt him. I'm going to, you know, just feeding him. You know, I just was, can you imagine calling the Son of God? You know, just, what if I screwed this up? What, what if I hurt him? What if I, and if you're the dad of the Son of God, now that's a scary proposition. I know I'm screwing my kids up, but man, you're raising the Son of God. That's a scary thing. But he's God in the flesh. From the moment he was born to the moment he died on that cross, he was God in the flesh. You know, we hear the term incarnate. He's uh, God incarnate. I went back and looked it up in the Latin, and it comes from incarnare, and it's to be made flesh. That's all it means. He's God made flesh. And again, there are many theologians who debate when Jesus became God in the flesh. And some believe he didn't become God in the flesh until the dove descended at his baptism. I don't believe that. I believe the moment he came out of the womb, I believe in conception he was God in the flesh. I, the minute he was created, he was God. And he continued to be God. He's God in the flesh. It means to be invested with bodily and especially human nature and form. Again, Philippians 2 says, he didn't think equality with God something he would grasp or hold on to like a dog with a rag, but he left all that behind and he took on human flesh. doesn't mean he left his divinity. It doesn't mean he became less than God. He was still 100% God, but he took on this bodily form. It was God walking around in the flesh. First time it ever happened. Last time it's ever happened. But today, every one of us are really a picture of God, a reflection of God in the flesh. Because we have the power of God living within us. Does that mean we're little gods? No. But it means that we are children of God. We are His offspring. We should reflect our Father. Dan Russ in his book, this is a great book I, I just read recently, Flesh and Blood Jesus, says, Jesus lived humanly in our fallen world, facing temptations and living out the tensions of being human in the flow of life. He was just like us, human in a sinful world, yet he did not sin. See, we've got to get our fingers around this, and we've got to understand that he was just like us. He wasn't some kind of spiritual uh, zombie who went through life and didn't feel what we feel, and he just kind of floated through life. He was just like us. The scriptures say it over and over again. He was tempted just like us. He had the passions that you and I have. He had the hormones you and I have. He had everything you and I had, but yet without sin. Can I explain that? No. But we can't lose sight of the fact that he is 100% like you and I. So he's supremely human, and he's humanly excellent. You know, our topic this morning is, I am a man of excellence. I want to live a life of excellence. I want to live a life above and beyond. I don't want to live in mediocrity. But what's my measuring stick? What's my objective? What's my goal? Well, it's Jesus Christ according to the scriptures. See, Jesus was unique. I don't think anybody would argue that. Jesus was unique. Even the people in his day thought, man, that, there's something different about this guy. The way he teaches. The way he talks. The, he heals. He, he does all kinds of incredible stuff. 
He wasn't ordinary. He was anything but ordinary. He wasn't like everybody else. Yet, is it what he did that made him special? Was it the fact that he could heal? Well, yeah, that's part of it. That's part of it. But look at this passage. This is Isaiah 53 2. This is a messianic passage. And it says, He grew up before him like a tender shoot. And like a root out of dry ground, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we would de we should desire him. See, if, if you watch the movies about Jesus, isn't he always kind of handsome in kind of a weird way? Um, you know, he's got blue eyes and blonde hair, and he's, he's got the tan complexion. He always looks different than everybody else. He doesn't look like... the, the disciples always look like kind of rough fishermen guys, and here's Jesus, and he kind of, he kind of orders on feminine and you know, that's not the picture this passage paints. Jesus had nothing about him that you would go, wow, look at that guy. It says that he had no beauty, no majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. If he walked by you on a crowded street, you wouldn't even notice the guy. Physically. You wouldn't notice him. Now sure, if he stopped and raised a lame guy from the ground or Heal the beggar's uh, blind eyes. He, he, oh man, that's pretty cool. But up until that point, you wouldn't notice anything about him. It wasn't what he looked like. This passage says he had no beauty. He had no beauty. Now most of us don't think of ourselves as being beautiful. But what does that word mean? It means shape, form, or appearance. He had no appearance. Um, he had nothing about him. He didn't look like a leader. It reminds me of the, the story of Saul and uh, Samuel. The book of Samuel, first Samuel, where the people decide they want a king, and they, they want a king like all the other nations, and so God lets them have Saul. And it says that Saul was head and shoulders above everybody else. He was tall, he was good looking, he looked like a king. So what this tells me is that Jesus didn't look like a king. Jesus didn't walk down the street and people go, wow, that guy's a leader. You know guys like that. They're just, they're just natural leaders. They've got that aura about them. They walk into a room. They kind of dominate the room. They take over meetings. They, that's not Jesus, at least according to this passage. He, he didn't look like a leader. It says he had no majesty. That word is hadar. It means magnificence, glory. He had no ornament. He had no splendor. There was nothing regal about the guy. Again, when he walked in the room, you wouldn't go, whoa, that guy's a king. That guy's got all the trappings. That guy, ooh, he just looked sharp. He didn't act like a leader. He didn't have this aura about him. So he wasn't that impressive when he walked in the room. It says his appearance was not pleasant. Talking about his countenance, in other words, what is seen. It, it, it wasn't pleasant. He wasn't one of the beautiful people of his day. People didn't just look at Jesus and just go, wow. See, I think David was probably, King David was probably a beautiful person. He would have been on the cover of People magazine. You know, one of the top ten most beautiful people. I think he was a good-looking guy. I think he looked like a leader. I think he led like a leader. He walked in the room. Everybody knew he was a leader. That's not necessarily the picture we have, according to Isaiah 53, 2, of Jesus. He wasn't a feast for the eyes. I mean, he wasn't a guy you go, wow, that's a... You know, even we see guys and go, that's a good-looking guy. Man, shoot, I wish I looked like that. That's not what Jesus was like. Now, why am I, why is this important? It gives me hope. 
it really doesn't give me help because I'm none of these things. I don't have majesty and I don't have a, a comely appearance as the King James says. I, I'm not, I don't walk into a room and people go, whoa, that's a leader. If I walk in a room, they may notice me, they may not. Uh, they may say, that guy's a loser. They may go, I know better than that guy. It gives me hope that Jesus didn't come to earth. You know, and I've said this before. If I were God, I would have done it completely different. I'd have said, my son, he wouldn't have come as a baby. He'd have come as a king. He'd have come on a white horse. He'd have come in power. He'd have come in majesty. He'd have all the trappings, the regal robes. He'd have looked like a leader, smelled like a leader, led like a leader. People would have been shocked and awed by, how can I not listen to this guy? But see, Jesus didn't do it that way. He came as a human, a nondescript human being with the name of Jesus, which was probably one of the most common names in his day. Just a common, everyday guy, yet he was unique. Jesus in his humanity had no advantages over us. Now granted, he was 100% divine. That's an advantage. But in his humanity, there was nothing about him that set him apart. He was just a carpenter from Nazareth, born to an obscure woman with an obscure stepdad. He didn't have anything going for him in a human perspective. He wouldn't have stood out in the crowd. And see, when we watch the movies of Jesus, and whether it's Mel Gibson's or the Jesus film, or you go back even further, Jesus always stood out in the crowd. You know, he's like the center of attention. You know, he's walking through and everybody's following him. Now, granted, if he's speaking and people, he's seen, they've seen him healed, yeah, they're going to follow him. But if Jesus walked into a town he'd never been to before, I don't think anybody even noticed the guy was there. I just think he was nondescript. And that should give you and I hope. What, what was it that made him special? What was it that set him apart as a man? Uh, again, we can... We can talk about his miracles. We can talk about a lot of different things about him. Was Jesus only a reflection of what he did? In other words, hey, he heals. Hey, he you know, walks on water. That's, that's pretty amazing stuff. And if you and I did that today, people would notice us. Is, is that all that he's known for? Is that all that sets him apart? Or was what he did a reflection of who he was? It sounds like kind of a rhetorical question or a trick question, but... It does make a difference. Is he only the product or the byproduct of what he did? Or is what he did a product of who he was? See, if you think about it, that's really what should impact your life and my life. Is It's not just simply about what we do. Many of us are good at doing things. We are busy for the Lord. But we do it for the wrong reasons. We do it for attention. We do it for accolades. We do it to assuage ourselves of guilt. We do it for the wrong reasons. When it should be coming out of who we are. See, for Jesus, I think everything he did was a result of who he was. He was God. He was 100% God and 100% man. And he just exuded God. Exuded God everywhere he did and everything that he did. He was a man of excellence, supreme excellence in all that he did. So what would excellence look like in a man? Yeah, we got around us in the world all kinds of models, all kinds of examples from sports to movie stars to you name it, the work world. What, what would excellence look like? How would perfection or, or, or masculinity perfected look like? What would it, how would it play itself out? 
And again, we've got so many different examples around us. I went on the internet yesterday and found this. this I don't even know half these people. This is from Hollywood.com, the top 10 men in America. Orlando Bloom, I know him. Not sure why. He's, he's number one. These are going in reverse order. He's number one. Brad Pitt, I know he'd be on there somewhere, either one or two. Scott Speedman, never heard of the guy, don't know who he is. Uh, Tyrese Gibbons, don't know who he is, but he's number four. Number five is Josh Hartnett. This is this looks like the guy that was beat up in high school. <laughs> if I went to high school dressed like this, I'd never make it home. At least in New York. But he's he's number five. Chris Evans, I don't know who he is. Uh, it looks like a police lineup. Uh, Aaron Eckhart, never heard of him. Josh DeHommel, never heard of him. Matt Damon, he's getting kind of down on the list. Zach Efron, uh, man, I don't get that one at all. If you have daughters who are anywhere in like junior high, you've, you've seen this guy. Uh, what a beating. Um, <laughs> what's that? What's that? What's that uh, it's now their third rendition of uh, High School Musical. Gosh, just run me over. <laughs> but this guy wasn't on the list. Jesus isn't on the list. I know this isn't a real picture of Jesus. But <laughs> he was not on the list. Isn't that amazing? And if you ask most people who's, who, who are the top ten most influential men, he's not on the list. Now, he may make it on there from a historical perspective as a great speaker, a great teacher, a model of whatever, but he's not on the Hollywood.com list because we don't think of Jesus as being that kind of a guy, the model of masculinity, and yet he is. He was perfect in every way. Jesus was the perfect reflection of his Father's image. And again, I know we're starting off kind of hard setting him up as the model, but he was the perfect reflection of his father's image. And if I'm supposed to be the image of God on this earth, he's my example. He's my example. Colossians 1.15 says, He is the image of the invisible God and the firstborn of all creation. He is the image of the invisible God. When you look at him, you see God. And again, when people look at you and I, what do they see? What do we reflect? Is it a distorted image of God? Is it a twisted image of God? Is it an image that's more like Adam than it is the second Adam? What do they see? 2 Corinthians 4.4 4, The God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. He is the perfect image or reflection of God. John 1.18, no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. How? In Jesus Christ, incarnate, God in the flesh, human, walking along this earth, eating, drinking, sleeping, getting tired, getting hungry, being tempted, yet without sin. He is the perfect image of God. Hebrews 1, 2 through 3. In these last days, He has spoken to us. God has spoken to us. How? By His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things and through whom He made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. How? Just in His divinity? No. Also in His humanity. So Jesus Christ, 
the God-man, as he walked the streets of Nazareth, as he walked into the various cities and, and communities of his day, he was the absolute perfect reflection of God. He was the perfect man. Because he did what Adam was supposed to have done. Bring God glory and reflect Him. He was the ultimate man. Remember we said he's the archetype. He's like the supreme example of what it means to be a man. He's the living definition of manhood. If you want to know what it means to be a man, man, don't, don't go look at the world around us. Don't go look at a sports star. Don't go look at anybody else but Jesus Christ. Don't even look at anybody else in this room. Don't look at Ted Kitchens. Don't look at Bill Ever. Don't look at Billy Graham. Don't look at anybody but Jesus Christ is your example. That's my point this morning. We have got to stop looking at one another as the example of what it means because none of us live up to it like we should. Our example, our model, is Jesus Christ because He's perfection incarnate. He is perfect man in the flesh. He's perfect God, perfect man. Listen, listen to what, what we're going to look at right now. This is really important. And it does raise the bar, it does raise the standard, but it tells you how far we need to go. But that's okay. That's okay. Jesus lived every moment, every breath, every look, every touch in 100% perfection of goodness. He was good all the time. I'm good maybe 10% of the time on a good day. He was good all the time. Perfect goodness. He was 100% the bullseye of his Father's will. Man, that's amazing. He was always in His Father's will. He never veered from His Father's will. You and I do it daily. We walk out of His will. He was 100% in His Father's will. He lived 100% free of foolishness. Man, I haven't lived a moment in my life when I've pulled that off. 100% free of foolishness. Which makes me think of Philippians 4.8. Whatever is true, whatever is worthy of respect, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if something is excellent and praiseworthy, think about these things. He did that 100% of the time, every minute of every day. You ever been having a quiet time and a really weird image comes to your mind that isn't godly? Where'd that come from? Or you're driving in your car and you know passing billboard, and suddenly you're thinking thoughts that, where did that come from? See, Jesus didn't have that problem. Jesus didn't have that problem. We talked about last week. I threw out the analogy: if he's walking down the street, sees a beautiful girl walking his way, I know what I'm going to have go through my mind. Now, Jesus didn't ignore her. Jesus didn't look through her. He didn't look past her. But he didn't lust after her. But I think he enjoyed her beauty. After all, he created her. He was 100% free of those kinds of thoughts. He was 100% free of fear. Do you fear? Do you wake up at night sweaty palm and, gosh, how am I going to take care of this? How am I going to pay for this? How am I going to do this? You know, do you just fear? Man, think about the stuff Jesus went through. If you were in that garden that night when those soldiers showed up with torches and swords drawn, I would have been fearful. I would have been fearful. But Jesus was 100% without fear. He lived his life in 100% perfection of purpose and focus. He knew where he was going. The scriptures say he set his mind to go to Jerusalem. Because he knew exactly what was going to happen there. And the disciples tried to talk him out of it. 
No, you're not going. Yes, I am. Why? Because he had purpose and he had focus. He knew what he was about and he was about what? His Father's will. 100% of the time. He utilized every moment of every day and didn't waste a single second. Man, wouldn't that be amazing? Do you ever waste any time? Golly. <coughs> Wasting time when we're to redeem the time. Now guys, again, what an example to live up to. I thought my dad was bad. This is amazing. This is amazing. He was 100% trustworthy. What he said, he did. If he told you he was going to do something, he followed through. If he said he'd be there, he'd be there. He was 100% trustworthy. He was 100% faithful. Faithful. And you and I are not that way. Let's just face the facts. We are not faithful all the time. We're not trustworthy all the time. See, he was God in human form. In Exodus 34, 6, this is a passage about God, but you can apply it to Jesus Christ. He was compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth because he was the perfect man, perfectly reflecting his Father. You know what? I ought to be able to take that passage and apply it to my life. Compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth. Will I do it in perfection? No, because I'm not Christ. And I also have a sin nature. But I can progressively become, over time, because of the presence of the power of Spirit and the power of Jesus Christ in my life, more and more like this verse and reflect the image of God. He was the living revelation of godly perfection in a living man. The living revelation. See, up until that point, God hadn't walked the earth. God hadn't come to earth like this. Nobody had anybody they could look at. They had David. David was flawed. David made mistakes. They, they had prophets. The prophets made mistakes. They had flawed individuals to look at. But when Jesus came, he was the living revelation of a holy God walking the earth. He's our model. He's our example. He's our definition. If you want to talk about manhood, there are so many books out there on manhood right now, but very few of them go back to Christ. You know, what most of them are are ten steps to being a better man. You want ten steps to being a better man? Ten times keep looking back at Jesus. He's your example. He's our definition. He was the human unveiling of God's character in man. It's what man should look like. See, God's given us the example. Jesus Christ, His Son. He's the, he's the model. He is the image of God. I think we've established the fact that Jesus Christ is perfect humanity. God in the flesh. But is this humanly possible or humanly impossible for us? How do we follow His example? Is it too high a standard? Do we just kind of go, oh, well, that, was, that was an impressive morning. I'm going to go back to comparing myself to somebody else. What are we going to do with this? It's biblical. It's scripture. What do I do with this? Is it impossible? Is the perfection of Christ out of reach? Is it just, is it that carrot on a stick that I never will get my hands on? And I just got to keep chasing it. Is that what, is this kind of a sick, cruel joke that God's played on mankind? Is that really all this is about? 2 Corinthians tells us, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away, the new things have come. See, we're new. We should be new. We should be different. Ephesians 4.24, put on the new man, 
who has been created in God's image. You see how this all fits together? My new man is not created in the image of Adam, it's created in the image of God, in righteousness and holiness that comes from truth. Put on that new man every single day. This is a continual process. Don't lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and then put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge in knowledge of the image of its creator. My new self is made in the image of the creator. So the more I put on my new self, which is a process, which is a daily occurrence, I will reflect, like Jesus, the image of God. But I have to do it every day. I have to keep doing it. I've got to raise my standards. And my goal for you, my goal for me is, let's raise the standards, guys. Let's raise the standards. See, the world's standards are really, really bad. I don't know if you got the, the news, but Clay Akins is out of the closet. Yeah. Wasn't that a big shock? Clay Akins, heck, you don't even know who he is. American Idol star. You know, he's, he's come out of the closet. See, that's, that's the definition of manhood is so screwed up in America. One of the guys told me this morning that the number of homosexual and bisexual characters on TV has more than almost tripled from 6 to 17. And you may go, mm, who cares? That's, that's manhood. Manhood is so screwed up out there in our world. We have got to raise the standard. Don't settle for the world's definition. Don't look at any other man. Look at Jesus Christ. Because you've been called to a life of excellence. Excellence. Not mediocrity. So how do we do this? His power. I'm going to close with just several passages. I can do everything Paul says through him gives me strength. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I can do what? I can do everything. I can pull this off through him who gives me strength. Paul said, my grace is sufficient for you. Jesus said to him, for my power is made perfect in weakness, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. Am I weak? You bet. Am I majestic? Not in the least. Am I comely in appearance? No, not in the least. So that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, and in hardships, and persecutions, and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I rejoice in the fact that I am weak, because it means I need Him. I need His power. I need His strength. I love this passage. 1 Corinthians. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Do you struggle with being weak? Great. Because it's not about you. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being going over to death for Jesus' sake. Why? So that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. Jesus Christ wants to be revealed through you. The image of God reflected to the world around us. And then finally this, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. You're not missing a thing you need to pull this off. Through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence, for by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is, that is in the world by lust. See, guys, it's all about His power in us. We have what we need. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the presence of Christ. And we can reflect God as His children, as His men, as we, we follow the model example of Jesus Christ. 
Let me close this in prayer. What I'd like you to do is take just a second. And I want you to think of one thing in your life. Think about your concept of maleness over the years. What's been your model for maleness? Masculinity. Manhood. Maybe it's financial success. Maybe it's physical prowess. Being the best at something. Maybe your definition of manhood has been about power. Authority. Respect. Whatever it is, confess it to the Father right now that your goal has been too low. Your goal has been too low. And ask Him to help you raise the bar. And through the power that's available through His Son, live a life that reveals Christ's life through yours. Do that just right now. Father, we come to you this morning. And whether we admit it or not, confess it or not, most of us, if not all of us, have had the wrong goals. We've put our ladder up against the wrong wall. And we've been climbing it and climbing it. And now we've seen through your scriptures that we've got to climb down and we've got to move our ladder. And we got to start going for something different. we got to pursue another goal. And that is Jesus Christ. And the model he left us. Father, this sounds so impossible. And that's exactly what you want it to be. We cannot do this. We can't do it. And we have to admit it. And confess it. That we're weak. And our flesh wins the battle way too many times. And if we try to do this in the flesh, we will lose. I pray that you would help every man in this room to put their ladder up on the right wall and begin to pursue the model of Jesus Christ with a vengeance. In the power of the Holy Spirit. That we would be in the Word. That we would continually look to Jesus Christ as our example. And over the next weeks as we pour into his life and we see the character of his life, Father, that we would apply it to our lives and we realize that we can be the image of God in this earth. We can reflect God in every situation. Not perfectly like Jesus did, but we can begin to reflect God. Raise the bar, Father. Thank you so much for sending Jesus Christ in human flesh. You could have done it any of a number of different ways, and you chose that way. You gave us an example. You fixed the mess that Adam created. And I thank you for that. May we be men who reflect the image of God as we model Jesus Christ to the world around us. Thank you for this day. Bless these guys as they go about their day. Uh, encourage them, strengthen them, embolden them. Give them a glimpse of what it means 
to live a life in the model of Jesus Christ. And I pray this in His heavenly and holy name.